All right, good, good morning to you guys uh, today. I hope you're doing great. I uh, hope you're doing well uh, and everybody's doing great and uh, people are safe and home, back home from foreign lands. Uh, uh, just a quick a word about um, the ongoing uh, recordings. I have uh, decided that I will continue to um, to do these because I know there's uh, there's some people out there, <laughs> a handful of people out there who are uh, benefiting from this, and I I, I appreciate that, and I uh, I'm glad that I can speak into uh, some people's lives through recording, and uh, if if that's encouraging you and and uh, helpful for you, that's always a good thing. I know there's a thousand other preachers out there that you could tune into that are way more like knowledgeable than I will ever be. Um, but uh, I just want you to know that I'm going to uh, keep doing this uh, until such a time that um, it's not at all necessary. Um, but anyhow, thanks for being here with us today. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I hope that you will be blessed today, although I'm I gotta say right off the bat, this is gonna be a this is gonna be like a, another uh, beat down drag out. It's gonna be a Rocky story sermon today because we're gonna get beat up real bad, but in the end, we're we're gonna win. We're gonna win in the end. Victory is in the end, and uh, and and this is a good news sermon that starts with the bad news and moves to the good news. So we're talking about walking by faith, and um, uh, said a lot about that. Don't worry about that. That's for our people. Second Corinthians 5, Paul said uh, several weeks ago, we walk by faith and not by sight. That's what it means to walk by faith. Right? We're going to walk by faith. We're not going to do it by sight. Our money, our bank accounts, our houses, our uh, popularity, our, our businesses, you know, the things that we, we, we are a part of on the planet, we're not going to walk by those things. Those are not going to be the things that guide our, our decisions and guide our conscience and guide guide um, our our, uh, our finances. We're going to let faith lead the way, and that will be a struggle. Secondly, we uh, James said in James two, uh, faith without the evidence is dead. Okay, so we can't just talk about our faith. It, it, we've got to show faith by our deeds. God created us in Christ Jesus to do good, good works. And so good works are a part of being saved. If you're saved, right, the world ought to know it by the way you're living your life, the things you're involved in, the way you talk, the jokes you tell. There ought to be evidence, like godly evidence that faith lives here. James is very clear about the action part of faith. Paul is very clear about the grace part of faith, which we're going to see a little bit more of today. And last week we jumped into Galatians. Galatians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And um, Paul is writing uh, about Jews and Gentiles and, and not the, necessarily the differences, but how they're going to... Uh, work together now that the kingdom of God has been opened to the Gentiles how this whole thing is going to work because now in the church there are Jews and there are Gentiles that never was before of course it wasn't the church it was uh, you know 
the children of Israel. Now it's the church in Jesus' time and beyond our time. And now it's, it's everyone is welcome to come in and work together. And so Paul's talking about law and grace, the differences in here. And he's, he's going to really hit on that in our passage. And remember, Paul's main point is this in Galatians chapter 2. My life that I live now in this flesh, still alive and, and well aware on the earth, I live by faith. So Paul, see, Paul came a long way. We're going to get into that a little bit today. Paul came a long way on what that means and uh, just the, the, the extent of that, the complexity of that for Paul specifically, but for others that were Jews, now uh, Christians. It's, it's, it was um, quite a transformation and uh, a battle. Paul's saying, though, but this bag of bones of mine, this body that I now live, this jar of clay... That I, this vessel of mine that I dwell in, fragile and worthless, really, it came from dust, it's going back to dust. But inside of me, it's no longer me. It's not going to be me making the decisions and me ruling and running the show. It's, it's going to be faith. It's going to be faith in Jesus. Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm letting this vessel be powered by the Spirit of God that I have asked to come and live in me. That's going to be a huge thing uh, for Paul. So in our passage in Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21, Paul points out that we cannot be justified by keeping the law. We kind of hit on that last week. We're going to hammer on that again today. And that the law pointed us, what the law did, didn't perfect us. It's like a mirror. It pointed us to our sinful condition. It revealed to us all of our flaws. And there's a lot of them. Like a mirror, it exposes our weaknesses. It exposes the things that we really don't like about ourselves. And it's good that we face these things. What the law did was showed us our need for Jesus and our need for grace. And that when it comes to being saved through the law, like our New York buddy Joe said, forget about it. It's not going to happen. You're not going to earn salvation. You're not going to get there by being good. Even though we should leave a path of evidence, those things don't save you. And what they do is prove that you're saved. And that's the difference. We're not doing those things to be saved. We're doing those things because we are saved. Because we want other people to see God and his grace through me. If all I'm doing is living for me, my own little kingdom on this planet, I'm not showing anybody God. I'm just showing them me. And when you're crucified, when it's not you anymore, it shouldn't be about you. It's about God. It's, a, it's all about him, because we're going to discover today we're just, we're worse off than we think. As human beings, just look around the world at what's going on right now in our day. And it's been worse in the past sometimes, but with all our technology, we have become very corrupt. We are, I mean, you just look, liars, thieves, drug addicts murderers, 
violent. I mean, these are things that are in our news every day. This is what our country and, and the world has become again and again. We're, 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 we're in trouble. And Paul is going to point that out in this amazing passage of Scripture. 19 to 21, but we're going to just focus on 20 today because we focused on 19 and 21 last week. You can go back and watch that if you didn't see it. These two sermons are part one. This is part two. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul is going to say. I've been crucified with Christ. That is going to be an amazing statement. I hope uh, that, that this is the theme of our life. Every decision we make, I've been crucified with Christ. We remember this, that I, I've been crucified with Jesus. It's not me anymore. It's him. And I'm going to represent Jesus to the very best of my ability. Like, there's not going to be any gray. I, I got to remove the gray. Like, I'm, it's one thing to remove the, the dark, okay? Right? We got light of God and we got the darkness of evil. And we, we can see those and we know, okay, these are things that got to go in my life. I, I, I can't, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I want to live in the light. But in the middle there, there's, there's a lot of gray. And, and, and as we grow up in our faith, we, we, we get rid of the dark. That's easy. But then the gray things... Everybody laughs at it, and everybody thinks it's kind of cool and fun. The gray has got to go as well to where we are living according to the light. Not better than anyone else, but just living according to the things of God. Living by the truth. Not beating people over the head with the truth, but simply living by it ourselves. Leaving that, that evidence of glory in God's grace in my life. And I do it because I understand who I am in Jesus. My identity is completely wrapped up in Christ. <laughs> like, like Super Bowl rings, all right, nice job, Tom, nice job, whoever. Uh, you know, NBA championships, good job, Michael and LeBron and whoever else. But you know what? Those things are going to get you absolutely nowhere in eternity. God's not impressed with our rings and our trophies and our money. He's, he's not impressed with it. All that matters, I have been crucified with Christ. So all that matters is my connection to Jesus and to the things of God from here on out. The rest of this stuff is going to perish. It's all going to burn and, and, and be buried. All that's going to matter is you and God. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That's a powerful statement. If you can honestly say that about you, that every day I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, you are moving in the right direction. Christ lives in me. That's it. That's it. All that I am is what God brings in here and does through here. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus, Jesus went first, right? He acted first. He loved first. He loved greater. He loves you more than you will ever love him. You, he loves you more than anyone will ever love you. And so, you want to walk by faith. That's what we're talking about, walking by faith. You want to walk by faith. Do you really want to walk by faith? And uh, where we left off last week was is there's a two-step process that Paul gives us in these verses. Especially in this verse, it's a two-step process. And it involves a cross and it involves a resurrection. Those are the two things we left off with last week. 
to, to walk by faith, the process that Paul gives us in this passage, it begins, walking by faith begins with a cross and a resurrection. That will be our theme for today. But I allow me to set the stage for you. And I want to set it with a nice little poem that you are all very familiar with, this guy. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Say it with me. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horsemen, or all the king's, sorry, horses, and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Bummer for Humpty Dumpty, isn't it? I mean, it's a real bummer. He's just like chilling on the wall and a wind comes by or somebody and gives him a little nudge and boom, off the wall he goes, hits the bottom, takes a tumble, and now Humpty Dumpty is in pieces and no one, no one is able to put him back together. Believe it or not, this is what Paul's talking about. And I hope I can show you that today. And I also want to remind you of a passage of scripture that says this in I, uh, Psalms 30. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We've shared this verse before. But what a great promise. We just studied through the book of Psalms last Wednesday night. The whole book, 150 chapters, I, I, I led the study. And we covered 150 chapters in an hour. But this is kind of the theme of Psalms. There's a lot of lamenting in Psalms, a lot of crying out to God, God, why? Why the evil? Why the injustice? Why? But then there's the praise, the God who always was and always is and always will be. He will keep his promises and in the end, he will rule and all those who are hanging on to him will, will, will survive and be brought into life. And there's hope after the lamenting, after the weeping. And so this sermon is gonna take on these two things, Humpty Dumpty, Joy comes in the morning. Just keep those things in mind as we kind of move forward with this, with this uh, passage of scripture in this message. Okay? And again, it's also like a Rocky movie. You're, we're going to get beat up a little bit, but hang in there. We're going to come out of it okay. So I hope you're ready. We're going to go deep and we're going to go fast, kind of like uh, this roller coaster ride. We're going to go, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be hairy. It's going to be crazy. It might even get a little long and I apologize for that. No, I don't. Uh, but, but it's important that we really grab onto this if we're going to walk by faith, truly. If you're just looking for another sermon, you could probably tune in somewhere else and get one. But this is not just another sermon. This is life and death for me. This is life and death, spiritual life and death for us. And I don't want this to happen to anybody. Don't fall out on the ride today. Okay, don't fall out. Don't, don't lose it. Hang in there. Stick with me. And uh, we're, we're going to get through this, okay? Joy. Remember, did I, did I mention? Joy comes in the morning. Okay, don't, don't forget that. Joy comes in the morning. Step one. Step one in Paul's two, uh, two, uh, oh wait, two-step process. What happened? Step one in Paul's two, uh, two, we'll come back to that slide. Uh, step one in Paul's two-step process is simply uh, this. You must die. You must die to yourself 
You must die to yourself. Step one in the process of walking by faith. You must die to yourself and to any attempt of being good enough. You, you've, got to, you've got to let that go. We have got to forget it completely that we could in somehow impress God. That somehow we can be good enough. You are not and you will never be. I know this is a punch to the gut right off the bat. You are not and you will never. You might impress yourself and you might impress people around you. But in the eyes of God, you are not impressive. Only what he has done is impressive. And you have fallen away from that and you are not. So we got we to gotta come to grips with this. We got to come to grips with the fact that we, we, we are doomed, that we are lost, and that we must die to all of us, completely die to ourselves, if we truly want to live. We, we have to come to grips with this first. And so when we do that, or as we do this, we, we have permission. I, I, I think we have permission to let ourselves off the hook. We don't have to keep trying to be great. We don't have to keep trying to be perfect. We don't have to keep trying to be good enough. Let yourself off the hook and simply admit the fact that you're not perfect, that we're not perfect and we never will be. We have a huge need when it comes to our relationship with God. We cannot get there on our own. On my own, on my own, I cannot get back to God. Like there is no ladder I can build, no rocket I can build. There's no money I could have, nothing. And this is hard for a lot of people to swallow because we live in a world where everyone expects you to be perfect. Like everyone around you expects you to be perfect. Just go to a little league ball game and listen to the parents as they yell at their kid as they're screaming at their child right right expecting their eight-year-old to be perfect at the game of baseball it's sad it is the most sad thing in the world to hear but everyone expects perfection right our bosses our professors our parents they expect us to be perfect, and it's easy to expect it from ourselves. We want perfection too, and, and it's not horrible to strive to be excellent, that's fine. But if you're doing it for the right reason, if you're striving for excellence for the glory of God, that's one thing. But if you're striving for excellence because you want to earn something, or you want to get attention in some way, or you think that somehow in and of yourself you can be perfect, you're, you're on the wrong road. You'll never get there. And you will never please everyone because eventually you are going to mess up. We have never learned in our world, in our society, how to mess up gracefully. Like it takes us a long time to figure that out. We don't like that. What, what happens is pride, pride gives us this false sense of success. Like that we can somehow be successful if we keep trying and we keep putting in the hours and we keep working and we keep striving. Pride, pride in us refuses to accept failure. Even when we fail, we don't want to admit it. We want to justify it some other way. And pride not only refuses to accept failure, 
but it doesn't want to believe that I can't get myself out of this somehow. Somehow, I'll figure out a way. There's a will, there's a way, right? And in sports, players have got to learn how to win with grace. Like a coach, you, we got to learn. As athletes, we learn how to win with grace. Like, right? You win, that's great, but do it with grace. But even more so, we got to learn how to lose with grace. With grace. It doesn't come natural. But we have to learn how to learn from it, how to grow from it, how to grace, gracefully accept that, that you fell short and it's okay. And embrace the fact that it is going to, if you keep playing, it's going to happen again. More than one time. Failure is not easy for us to swallow. Victory is so much sweeter. Good feelings, right? All smiles, everyone's happy, happy. We love victory. We don't like rejection. And we can't stand the thought of being left out, right? Right, getting picked last or on the bottom or looking from the outside in. We don't like it. We're told all of our life, and we're taught from a very young age that you are special, you can do anything, you are powerful, you are to be empowered. The world is screaming at us, you are all you need. Go and grab life by the jugular, right? That's what the world is screaming at us. Kind of like, let's back up to my kid. My little baseball buddy, right? You've seen the illustration of the kid, the best pitcher in the world. The little kid comes up to the plate. He's all by himself. He's got his bat on his shoulder. He's got a ball in his hand. And he's saying out loud, I am the best hitter in the world. I am the greatest hitter in the world. And he throws the ball up and he takes a big swing and he misses. Strike one. I'm the best hitter in the world. And he throws the ball up and he takes a swing and he misses. Strike two. I am the greatest hitter in the world. He believes it. He's been told that he throws a ball up in the air. He takes a big hack at it. Strike three. You're out. And the kid is sitting there thinking, he's, and it dawns on him. He's like, man, I'm not just the best hitter in the world. I'm the, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world, too. Like that's, that's us, right? That's how we're raising our, our people. You know, the positiveness is, it's okay, but we're delusional in it. Like we're delusional in it. There's definitely good things in a positive message, building kids up, especially young kids, encouraging them to strive for greatness. But we are not realistic. We're not realistic and we're not honest. And we're pumping a lot of hot smoke into kids' ears as they grow up in this world of everyone wins. Everyone gets a trophy. Everyone is great. Uh, in the locker room at Turntine Middle School where I coach, there is a sign on the wall. It's a sobering sign on the wall. And it says this, of the thousands and thousands of sports athletes in the country, only a handful of them will ever make it to the big leagues. You better have a backup 
plan. <laughs> That's sobering, isn't it? That's what every athlete wants to hear. You're, you're probably not going to make it. There's only a few percent of all of you who are going to make it to the big leagues in whatever sport they choose or wherever they go. They have God-given ability and they work hard and they get there. But for most of these kids, they're never going to get there. You're not going to get there. And it is, it is sad to see the, the great expectations that parents have for their kids because the parents are projecting on their kids this false sense of greatness. It's a grand illusion or delusion, I guess you should say. When it comes to our relationship to God, the Bible, the scripture tells us a little different story. <laughs> the Bible speaks the truth, right? The Bible speaks the truth when it comes to our position with God. You see, there is no walking by faith. There is no entry into the kingdom of God. If we first don't come to grips with our true and honest standing with God. You can't walk by faith if you don't start here. You can't live a life for the Lord if you don't first understand the, the very foundational truth of who you are and your relationship with God. We can't. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about because here's the truth that Paul is trying to share. Sin has separated you from God. All of mankind is separated from God. Isaiah wrote in 59, he said, your iniquities, your, in your wrongdoings have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You hear that? That's the sobering truth of our sin and our position with God. His face is hidden from us. He can't look at us because he can't look at sin. He can't be in the presence of sin. And we are separated from God because of our sin. Ezekiel said the soul that sins will die. The soul that sins will, will die. See, we must always humbly, gratefully, respectfully, and, and um, desperately remember this truth all through life. Not to shame us, not to put us down, but to simply accept the fact that we have failed when it comes to living for God or pleasing for God or obeying God or being right with God. We have missed it and we are separated from God. We must remember this truth every day of our life. Where we have come from and where we are today and it's all because of God. It's all because of his love for us. And the minute we start puffing up our chest or thinking in our head that we somehow have earned this or we are God's blessing to the world, we have swallowed this huge chunk of pride again. That's why every day we have to wake up and remember, God, thank you for your grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's like the AAA, you know, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. That's how they start every time. I'm an alcoholic. This is what I was. This is what I, where I came from. But I'm better now. I'm, I'm, I'm working on being better. That's, that's completely our stance. I am a sinner saved by grace. That's it. In and of myself, I am nothing. 
I am doomed. I'm headed for hell. All of me. There's nothing good in me. It's only him in me that makes anything decent at all. Psalm says, you are my God. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from you, God, there's nothing good in me. Ecclesiastes says, all came from dust and all will return to dust. Job said, thou he slay me, yet will I trust him. And Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. See, this is a wake-up call. It really is. To the human race, to the human ego, this is a crushing blow. A crushing blow that we brought on ourselves. Our sin is the crushing blow, not Adam's, not our parents, not anyone else's, our personal sin. My own personal responsibility. I have offended God. I have sinned against God. I have done things that I should not have done. I have lived in ways that I should not have lived. I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. That is truly who I am. And separation from God is the result of my sin, your sin, our sin. We are utterly lost, desperately cut off, and there isn't a thing that we can do in and of ourselves. Humpty cannot put himself back together. The king's horses and horsemen cannot put him back together. There is no amount of gold that can make you, us right with God. There is no intelligence or education that can earn your promotion into glory. And Elon might be able to build a rocket to the moon, but, but he will never, ever space travel to the pearly gates, ever. We can't be clever enough. Our first step in the process of Paul's is simply this, embrace your position. Embrace who you are before Jesus, before Christ, BC. Embrace who you are as a person, as a man, as a woman, embrace it. Embrace your wreckage, face your brokenness, face your desperation, this is your ground zero. It really is. We are all a mess in the sight of God. Don't let anyone fool you into thinking you're not. Don't let anyone puff smoke into your ears and other places to tell you that you are something when we're not. The world has lied to us. It's been lying to us for a long time. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And we can't fix this mess. We cannot fix this wreckage. The government can fix it. There are no laws that will be the solution to the real problem that we are facing. What we need is a heart change. And nobody can do that, only God. We need a new ruler on the throne of our heart. That's what you need, that's what I need. That's what your friends need, that's what your family needs. The fact is, all of you and all of me must go. This is what Paul is saying. It's broken, it's selfish, and it's sinful. And it's why Paul is emphasizing in other places in this letter in Galatians in chapter 5, when he says, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh 
with the affections and lusts. They have crucified it. Think of what that word means. We're going to get to that. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, but God forbid that I should boast in anything, anything but the cross, but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only thing I'm going to be, take pride in. It's the only thing I'm going to boast about. By who? The world is crucified to me and I unto the world. Crucifixion is the road to faith and grace. Crucifixion is an excruciating and torturous death. Crucifixion. To be nailed to a cross. Nailed there. Bound there. There's no getting off. It's only pain and misery as you suffer on the cross. You're not going anywhere. You are making no decisions. You are doing nothing to be crucified to a cross. And it is exactly what you and I signed up for. It is exactly what surrendering to Jesus is all about. And why many people don't want anything to do with it. They would rather live in their own sinfulness outside of Christ and outside of God. And Paul is saying, you must crucify the flesh spirit in you. And this is tricky. Paul is saying you must crucify the urges for the world, the lust of the eyes, the things of the flesh must go, must go. The world and its desires in you must be done away with in a very spiritual way. In a very spiritual way. There's a physical, there's a spiritual in you and in me. In a very spiritual way, we must die, be buried, and be resurrected. We must undergo a death, a burial, and a resurrection. It's why Paul said in Romans chapter 6, Therefore, we, we've come to Christ, we're walking by faith, we are buried with him in baptism. Buried with him in baptism. Buried, not sprinkled. Buried into death, six feet under. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in this resurrected state, in this raised state, in this newness of life. Step one. Give it up. Give you up. In a very real and spiritual way, I got to be, it's, or it's got to be the end of me. It has got to be the end of me. Being crushed on God, this is, a, this is a cool truth, being crushed on God, you fall on God and you are crushed, that's a very good thing, but being crushed by God is not a good thing. Right now we get to choose. Are we going to fall on him and be crushed? Or are we going to wait and let him crush us? There's a very difference between being crushed on and being crushed by. And when we fall on him and are crushed on him, broken into pieces, it's our way out. It's our escape out from uh, eternal death and from eternal wrath that we voluntarily surrender to him now before it's too late, that we give your life to Christ today, 
that we give them all that we are right now, no matter who you are. And even if you've done it before, you do it again day by day. God, here I am. I'm yours. I'm crucified to you. You know, Jesus, Jesus, in Matthew 21, Scripture's talking about the capstone, you know, if you have an arch, concrete archway. That capstone right there is the most important piece. It ties it all together. And he's talking about how the stone, the capstone is a stone that the builders rejected and that he is that capstone. And in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 21, verse 43, he says, therefore, I tell you, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. He's talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, taken away from you and it will be given, the kingdom of God will be given to people who will produce its fruit. That's the wake of evidence. Produce its fruit, right? Verse 44, anyone who falls on this stone, falls on the stone, there's a stone, fall on it, will be broken to pieces. But anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Will be crushed. If I'm going to walk by faith, if I'm going to walk by faith, I must die to myself. I'm nothing more than a pile of broken pieces at the base of a wall. That's all I am. And I look around. And I look around and there is no one, there is no one, no person, no system, no method that can make me new again. There's nothing. There's nothing that can help me. And I realized like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter six, verse five, when he said, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am ruined. I am an utter mess. If we don't first come to grips with the fact that we are ruined when it comes to our relationship. Yeah, I might have talent. I might have some skill to do some things on this planet. I might be able to make money. I could probably go out and do whatever. But if I don't understand, first of all, when it comes to my relationship with the creator of the universe, if I don't come to grips with the fact that I am ruined, utterly ruined, that my ground zero is a mess, and that I need a new king on my throne, if I don't come to grips, grips with that, there's no going forward with God. You don't go on your own. You are completely broken at his foot. And he is the only one that can put you back together. And we admit that. That's step one. Step two is, is, is a little simpler. Step two is this. I must be made new in Christ. I must die to myself and I must be made new. I die to myself and I'm made new again in Christ. That's joy comes in the morning, right? That's what it is. Our only hope. We are invited to come to Christ and, to, and let him dwell in us. The offer to come to Jesus is, is available and open to every person, every race, every tribe, every nation, anybody in the planet is welcome to come to Christ. And all who are invited to come to Christ are required to RSVP. We all know what that is, right? We have to let them know we're coming, right? That's what RSVP, but we let them know, hey, I want what you're offering me. You have given me this free gift of grace. 
that I could be made new in Christ because I am ruined. And I need that. And I want that. And I'm going to invite that to come into my life and be a part of who I am. You must come to Jesus and you must obey him. And we must do it on his terms, not our terms. His terms and his terms only, which we learn about in the scriptures. And Paul's talking about, James talked about, and we read about in 1 Corinthians. Or 2 Corinthians. Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ now lives in me. How does Christ come to live in us? Well, let me refer to step one. I, I realize who I am and I accept that in God, that I am ruined and that I need to die to myself. Step one. I need to be buried with Christ. I need to be buried with him in baptism. I need to undergo a spiritual death, a conscious decision of my will, not a little infant's, but my will as an adult, that I understand that I have sinned against God and I need to decide that I need Jesus in my life and I'm going to give him all that I am, everything. And then I am raised with Jesus in life, in newness of life. The Bible calls this being born again, where Christ now comes and begins to be formed in me. And we become a new creation in Jesus, a new creation in Christ. Paul says, this life that I now live in the flesh, it ain't me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith now, not by me now. By faith, it's no longer me. It's Christ living in me. I'm a living, I'm living completely wholeheartedly, 100% by faith in Christ, surrendered to Jesus. And this is the tricky part, and yet very present. Surrendered to Jesus, and yet very present. A dead sacrifice is dead. Can't get up and move, can't go anywhere. But a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice has options has choices, has a will. When we surrender ourselves to him, we are giving him charge. And at the same time, we are right here. A living sacrifice to God. My will surrendered to his. My eyes on him and not the world anymore. My allegiance is to his truth and not my way or anyone else's way. My life is laid down and his life is now alive in me. Fully aware that a living sacrifice wants to climb off the altar. And my flesh in me wants to get back up and take control again. That flesh wants to rise up and at every turn wants to grab hold of those reins again. And I recognize that my second chance to choose to do God's will and to come back into the presence of God, that he's giving me a second chance. Sin was my first and I blew it. Now Jesus has come and I have a second chance to surrender my will to him, to be born again in him. And I give myself to the one who loved me and gave himself for me first. Because God always goes first. He always acts first. Where once and for all, I use my free will that God gave me, my own free will, and I choose him. God would have it no other way. God is not interested in you being forced to love him. 
God is not interested in you being forced to do his will. This is the whole reason for the, the tree in the garden. If, if there's no option, then, it, then you're being made to do it. Option means free will. Because God doesn't want us to be robots or puppets that are programmed to do his will. He wants us to choose his will. He wants us to be like fully aware, fully in control of us, and then at the same time, fully determined, determined to let him be Lord of my life. Every day, I am going to will that Jesus is in control. Every day I wake up, I could let the flesh take over, or I could say, nope, I am living for God. And every day, God wants me to choose him every day to return in some way, in this way that it's my will choosing God, that we somehow in some little way return to that relationship that God wanted to have with us in the Garden of Eden where we live together, dwell together, move together, and we choose him, even though the choice of evil is right there all the time. To walk by faith, a transformation must take place in me. A shift has got to be made from a life in the flesh, the world influencing me, the world trying to press me into its mold and listen to its voices, to a life of Christ in me, where he is rewiring me to think and act like him, where he is welcome to come and make his home in me, where my will is completely surrendered over to his, where he is allowed to be Lord and Savior of all of me every second, every minute, every hour, every day. A choice to keep him on the throne of my heart, my life, 24-7. Jesus said, if any man will come to me, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself, like totally crucify yourself. Take up his cross daily. Look at that word right there. Daily and follow me daily if anyone would come after me deny yourself you can't live for you no more this is about him you want to follow jesus you want to walk by faith you had better deny yourself take up your cross leave a wake of evidence that he is now in you and follow him every day it's a decision of your will every day one day we will trade this corpse this body of death in for a resurrected body. And every day, until then, I will surrender to do his will. My will is to let him have his will in me. And this is where, this is where I live by faith and not by sight. This is where my faith, that I walk in this faith, leaves a path of evidence for the world to see and glorify God. It's God. It's God in me, not me in me. It's God in me. And this is where the life I live in this flesh, I live by faith in Jesus, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is where your walk of faith has got to begin. Yours, mine, every person on the planet because the fact of the matter is we are messed up 
We are broken, we are sinful and selfish, and our sin has separated us from God. And you must die to yourself, and you must be born again in Christ. You must be buried with him in baptism and raised with him in a newness of life. This is the good news. This is the joy that comes in the morning. This is the good news of Christ for you and for me and for everyone who lives on this planet. Where only God can put you back together again. Only King Jesus can put you back together again. And where weeping is turned to joy. God bless you. Let's decide to honor God in whatever step he's leading in our hearts. Whatever it is he's leading you to do, whatever he's calling you to run away from and leave behind and move toward, just do it. Just honor God. Be among the millions of people who have said, I am going to leave it all behind and go. I'm going to go and do, jump in whatever God wants to do in my life. I, I pray that you will do it, whatever it is. God bless you guys. Have a great day. I'll see you next week.